Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Reading from Genesis 1, 26 through to 2, 3. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the account of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. If you're here tonight and uh, you haven't been around for the last few weeks, if you're brand new, welcome here to City Light, North Adelaide. We're at uh, week four in a series we've called We Need to Talk. Uh, We've been seeking to, uh, as a church, see what the, the, the word of God what the good news of Jesus Christ has to say in regards to various cultural issues that are kind of present and central perhaps in our culture at the moment, in the age in which we live. Uh, We started with call-out culture. We uh, had a look last week together at how the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ changes what's become or impacts and relates to what's known as toxic masculinity and also domestic violence. Uh, Josh opened that for us last week. And tonight, we're looking at this subject, transgenderism, Jesus, and Christian hope. Um, If you are a member of church here and you're on Slack, that's our online kind of community or environment, I put up earlier in the week that this is the subject we're looking at and uh, asked for some questions and some thoughts. So the discussion hopefully has already begun. Um, But before we kind of get into the word tonight, I just want to highlight to you, um, it's a huge subject. Um, and many people have written some really great things on this particular matter of transgenderism, uh, Jesus and the gospel. So I just want to highlight a few resources you may like uh, to pick up. Um, They're pictured on the screen. I've got them here um, just to sort of, you know, show that they're actually real. Um, But uh, the first one I want to highlight is this little book. Uh, It's called Transgender. It's by a guy named Vaughan Roberts. Uh, He's from the UK. It's in a a series called uh, Talking Points, um, where some particularly interesting issues are sort of tackled, but in this one, obviously, it's transgender. Um, really quickly, one of the things I like about this book, it's really inexpensive. It's $5. Um, I love short books. It's really short. It's about 60 or there pages long. Um, and, and what happens, I mean, Vaughan Roberts is just a really lovely guy. Um, he's a great writer. He's very personable. He's very smart. And so he kind of captures this massive area and sort of mushes it into this little book, which is really wonderful. The reality is, though, given that it's so short, he can't cover everything. This is a really excellent introduction to the the realities of the situation, um, the the issue at hand, how the gospel kind of speaks into this situation and provides some really beautiful pastoral stuff in here as well. So that's a great sort of taster, I guess. Um, If you really loved that and you want to know more, then this is the other book, Um, God and the Transgender Debate by a guy named Andrew Walker. Um, he, um, he claims really quickly he's not an expert in this area, but he's had an interest in it, and, and so he writes this really helpful book. It's like 
Vaughan Roberts's book, but sort of expanded with more detail. And so it's more expensive. Um, but um, if you're interested, he sort of, again, just goes a bit deeper into particular issues. That's a really excellent book. Um, one of the things I really like about it as well, um, towards the back, he has a section sort of on um, tough questions uh, that are kind of related to this area. And uh, he sort of answers them, I think, again, not in exhaustively, but certainly in a way that's really helpful. So excellent book there. And um, sort of, so those two books are kind of more, what do you call, objective in some ways, but pastoral. Um, Rosaria Butterfield's Openness Unhindered um, is a wonderful book. This is her, very much her lived experience um, relating to sort of trans transgenderism, um, sexuality, and the gospel. Um, she hasn't always been a follower of Jesus. She had a radical encounter with Christ. She's come to know Jesus. Um, sort of, she's an academic. She's a wonderful writer. And in this, you really kind of meet Rosaria um, and her um, journey as someone who wrestles with these things and continues to do so. So, again, um, well worth a read. Um, she's a great writer, really excellent. So I can recommend all those resources to you. There you go. I don't make any money on those either, by the way. Um, just putting it out there. Um, right, so transgenderism, uh, Jesus and Christian hope. Um, when we as a group of people, uh, I guess elders, were coming up with the subjects and the titles and the, yeah, the, the concepts for these particular talks, I reckon I wasn't around when this one came up. Um, I reckon I was sort of, I left the meeting early and then I've landed with this one. So I've been asked to speak on transgenderism, uh, Jesus and the gospel. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been thinking all week, right, how I'm sort of been hard to shake the feeling that I don't think this is a really good idea. Um, partly because, um, after all, who am I to kind of give this talk, right? I am a, well, look at me, I am a youngish, white, married with kids, religious guy. And, like, honestly, what could be worse than listening to a talk about this subject from a guy like me? Um, I present, like, every roadblock road to progress in the areas of sexuality in our world today. Um, there's nothing I can do about that, unfortunately. I could drop the religious bit, but I'm not prepared to do that. Someone I was talking to during the week um, who's not a believer said, you know what I might do? Someone, I might set up a stall outside church with rotten tomatoes and dodgy vegetables in it so people can pick them up and throw them at you during the talk. Um, I don't know, he didn't turn up, which is really nice. Um, but isn't this talk like a bad idea, particularly from a guy like me? What do I have to say on the subject of transgenderism, Jesus and Christian hope? Um, it's not just me that's the problem. I think one of the big issues we face with this subject is it's a massive topic. Uh, any studies to do with sexuality and transgenderism and, and gender in particular. People have PhDs on this stuff. People write books on these things. You can go to university and study a three-year gender studies course. You can spend three years at university on this. Nevertheless, right, here we are. I actually think in the time we have together tonight, I can say something helpful. Um, I, I believe that because what we're going to do mainly is sit in God's word and let the Bible speak into this topic for us. And I want to help us navigate that tonight. And I want to say, even if you're here tonight and, and you're sceptical, I want you just at least to listen to what I have to say, what the Word of God has to say, what this youngish, white, married with kids, religious guy, and see how it's shaped me and my understanding of this particular subject. Maybe we can get somewhere. The reality is, right, that, that the transgender debate, the situation we're in today, has become all-encompassing and it's massively contentious. Almost every part of our society is in the crosshairs of transgenderism. Um, and what's happened is, not only is it in the crosshairs, it, the world in which we live, it's changing so fast that it's hard to kind of keep on top of it and work out what does the gospel actually have to say. Also, it's a very sensitive issue. It's a very sensitive issue for many of us, and I think Christians in particular, we feel like it's so sensitive, I'm just not even going to go there. But it's impossible to ignore. It's front and centre. Tonight as well, it's not just sensitive kind of out there. It might be sensitive to some of us in the room tonight. Um, transgenderism, issues with sexuality may be very personal for you right now. And I'm aware of that. I'm aware that, you know, I'm standing on sensitive ground. I'm aware of that. 
But I truly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, has something good to say to every aspect of our lives and into our world. And I also believe that the good news, the the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and his return, has something really good to say to this issue of transgenderism. And so three things I want to do tonight. I want us to think about where we are at culturally. What does the Bible have to say secondly? And then how should we respond as God's people in this particular moment? That's what I want to do. Three things. Where are we at culturally? What does the Bible have to say about transgenderism? And also, how should we respond to this particular moment in history? I'm going to ask God to help us. Let's pray to do Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that your word brings life. And we pray that you would help us to see that the life your word holds out to us is really the life that we want and desperately need. So help us to see that tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why, why talk about this? Where are we at culturally? Recent cultural change. Here's an image on the screen coming up. Um, on the left-hand side is a guy named Bruce Jenner. Uh, Bruce Jenner is a US athlete. He was a pentathlete, I believe. Um, and he was quite famous uh, in his day. Um, That's Bruce, no longer Bruce, pictured on the right-hand side on the front cover of Vanity Fair in 2015. Just 2015. Um, And the catch cry on the front of Vanity Fair was, call me Caitlyn. Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, has transitioned fully from being a man to a woman. That was 2015, and very much, right, that sort of image, that change has has kind of ushered in a revolution. Um, To me, Bruce Jenner was not a famous athlete for me, but he was well known. But I think what we've seen in recent times is that famous people have transitioned, gone from male to female or female to male, and that's just, that's quite significant. See, the older framework of thinking in our world has been that your gender is simply determined by your biological sex. But now, today, gender is fluid. Gender can change from male to female, back to male, and that sort of stuff. People like Judith Butler, academics like that, who are proponents of what they call queer theory, they propose this idea of gender fluidity. Biology biology does no longer determine your gender identity. Now it's subjective. It's how I feel, and that's who I am. I don't know if you know that Facebook now has over 50 options for what your gender is. It used to be male, female, now it's over 50 options. Uh, Here's Chaz Bonner, Sonny and Sher's daughter, who's now their son. Chaz Bonner says, gender is about what's between your ears, not what's between your legs. What's he saying there? It's, it's no longer your biology that determines your gender. It's what, how you feel, your mind, very much determines what your gender is. It's important, right, to, to get a few definitions, right? Here's the definition of transgender. Um, you probably can't read that unless you've got supersonic vision. Um, but basically, transgender is noting or relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Secondly, noting or relating to a person who does not conform to societal gender norms or roles, the noun being a person who is transgender. A person who is transgender is someone for whom their gender identity doesn't match their biological sex that they were assigned at birth. Psychological gender identity differs from their external, physical, assumed biological sex. That's transgender. The other sort of definitional concept we need to think about is this idea of gender dysphoria. Um, Dysphoria is the opposite of euphoria. So when you're euphoric, how are you feeling? You're feeling wonderful, you're feeling ecstatic, you're feeling joyful. Dysphoria means to experience significant stress, anxiety. So in gender dysphoria, that's when the person is experiencing this mismatch. The the, the way they feel about their body is not what their biology would suggest. There's a mismatch. But let's be clear, right? Transgender, transgenderism, um, gender dysphoria is not the same as homosexuality. 
There's some overlap, right? So homosexuality and uh, transgender still fit in the continuum, LGBTIQA plus group or continuum. There is a sense in which there's a connection to their self-identity. But if we take homosexuality uh, to be someone who is um, attracted to someone of the same gender or same sex, it's not the same thing as wanting to identify as someone who has a different biology to your own. So Rosaria Butterfield, in her book Open, um, Openness Unhindered, says this, homosexuality is about who you want to go to bed with, transgenderism is about who you want to go to bed as. Why all this information? Why all these quotes? Simply to say that there's been a dramatic shift or change in Western culture. There's been a significant social and medical and political and legislative changes. Our culture now increasingly believes that if you feel yourself to be a man or if you feel yourself to be a woman, then that is who you are. Irrespective of what biological bits or body you happen to have. And additionally, right, our culture says you cannot flourish, you cannot be truly human and yourself unless you embrace and accept the person, the sense of self who you think you really are. So for, for most, right, this has now become an issue of justice. Someone should be free to express their true inner identity, whatever that is. And it's the job, it's the responsibility of you and me, the wider public, to embrace, affirm, and fully accept how that person feels. Um, it's now become like a civil right, right, equated to things like issues of race, even issues of women's suffrage. So the accusations of some, you know, biology is bigotry and must be a, a, cannot be a constraint on someone who, who, someone who someone believes they are. If someone believes that they are female, although they were born a male, no one really has the right to question that. That's where our society has gotten to. It's become a matter of equality as well, right? So um, this is seen in the debates now about what kind of bathrooms people can use in public places. Um, schools, restaurants, etc. the kind of uniforms, right, that schools can expect their students to wear. Issues of who can be on what sports teams and youth camps at church. You know, what dorm do we place participants in if they are transgender? So we can't avoid the issue. The issue is significant. It's present. It's impacting lots of things in our culture. That's the cultural situation we're in. That's the change that's taken place. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The first thing to say, right, when we come to the Bible is the Bible doesn't have the word transgender in it. If you go looking from Genesis to Revelation, you will not find the word transgender. But there is teaching, right, all throughout the scriptures uh, that shapes our approach in thinking about transgenderism. So what does the Bible say about Gender. Well, I read it, but we begin right at the back at the beginning of the Bible with the well-known text, Genesis chapter 1. Um, God creates humanity, right? We're told this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So in creation, right, in the creation of the world, gender identity is embodied. God created them, male and female. We're speaking here of bodily creation. Maleness and female is located in our bodies, in our anatomy. And more, Genesis gives us a binary, male and female, he created them. There is no third sex or room for any other here. And Genesis 1 also shows us that being male and female is fundamental to being made in God's image. When God made us creatures in his image, he highlights that we are male and female. We are not unique, right, in creation for being male and female. There are other animals in creation who are male and female, but there's something unique about us. We are made male and female in God's image because fundamentally bound up with our sex is how we image God. 
God has made us in our image, male and female. And I take it is because we need each other, male and female, better to image God. So that's, that's Genesis chapter 1. So, and if you've been around church for a little while, if you've been an avid reader of the Bible, you'll know, right, Genesis chapter 1 is where like, God's good design for creation is working really well. There's a sense of very goodness right, about that. So if you grab your Bible, if you're not really used to the Bible, if you, if you turn open to chapter 1 of Genesis, right, you'll see this, this bit here, this is when everything's going really well in creation. All right? The rest of the Bible, not so good. Yeah? Let's just remember that. Chapter 1. So what happens with Genesis chapter 1, God makes the world and everything's good, 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 very good. And then something happens in Genesis chapter 3. Human beings, you and I, we rebel against God. It's called sin. We reject his right rule over our lives and everything goes a little bit pear-shaped. But what's really interesting is if you just turn forward into chapter 5, when the Bible was written, we didn't have chapters and things, but chapter 1, it's all good. Chapter 3, the fall, we rebel against God. Everything gets distorted. Chapter 5, God reaffirms his creation mandate. When God created, this is chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. In other words, after the fall, after our rejection of God, our rebellion against his good design, the scripture reaffirms that God created male and female. Whatever else the fall has done to distort and to disrupt God's good design for creation, it hasn't obliterated that God made us male and female. And then similarly, right, if you, you, know, if you rush forward into, into the gospel, Jesus Christ, God himself, God in the flesh, turns up, and in, in Matthew chapter 19, he's speaking to people who ask him about divorce, and Jesus writes, says this, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is asked a question about divorce. He speaks about marriage. But in order to talk about marriage, he speaks about gender. He doesn't just say any two people come together and join one flesh. He says that from the beginning, God has made them male and female. And he says that this is the reason, therefore, we can have this thing called marriage. God's created us male and female, therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, and this is massively countercultural in our day and in our age, as far as Jesus is concerned, marriage is predicated on our sexual difference as male and female. That doesn't mean just because we're male and female we have to go out and get married but it does mean we can only get married because we're male and female. So Jesus describes our maleness and our femaleness as a binary that is an ongoing reality and ongoing in meaning even in a fallen, broken world. The Bible upholds, right? Here's the big idea. The Bible upholds that our gender identity is read off our body, not off our feelings. The Bible upholds that our gender identity is read off our bodies, not off our feelings. So what then does the Bible say about our bodies, your body? What does the Bible say about our bodies? It has heaps to say, but we do want to get to dinner at some stage, so I haven't got all night. The Bible has heaps to say, but three key things. The first thing is this. Our bodies are intended. Our bodies are not an accident. They are not, as many in our world would say, just the result of a random, disconnected, unguided evolutionary process. In stark contrast, the Bible says that our bodies, your body, has been created. They're not accidents. When it comes to God, none of us in the room tonight are accidents. Our bodies are created. David in Psalm 139 sings, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, I've never knitted before. Anyone here, who's into knitting in the room? 
Yeah, a few at the back. There we go. A couple of people into knitting. I've never knitted before. I have watched a lot of people knit. My granny was a great knitter. My mum was an excellent knitter. My mother-in-law knits. Um, I used to work with a colleague in Sydney at church, and she did some work, but she spent a lot of time knitting. Um, <laughs> no, she did. She was wonderful. I think I have some authority when it comes to knitting, yeah? I've seen a lot of people knit, yeah? I've actually even been to the occasional knitting shop. There you go. You can ask me that, that later. All that to say, what, when I've seen people knitting, right, when they knit, it's a very careful, deliberate process. Stitch after stitch, remembering when to change the colour, when to change the style. Every stitch matters and speaks of deliberate and close attention to detail. You and me, none of us are accidents. God, God created us. Our bodies are not accidental, and secondly, therefore, they are not incidental. Our body is both a gift and a calling. That's not to say that our bodies are at all perfect. But David can say in the same psalm, virtually in the next breath, I praise you, Yahweh. That's Lord, God, living God, because I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. In Romans 8, when you jump into the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, gives us a great insight into the purpose of our physical bodies. Paul in Romans 8 is talking about the whole of the physical creation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is a key insight into the world in which you and I live. Paul's saying that the physical creation in which we live is not right. It was made brilliantly. Good, 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 very good. But Paul says because of our rebellion against God, God has subjected this creation to futility, to frustration. Why has he done that? God's done it as a consequence, but also a demonstration to us that the world is not right with him. And that, in Romans 8, is like it's true of the, all of creation, macro level, but it's also true at the individual level of you and me. Our bodies have also been subjected to frustration. And, and if you've been alive more than five minutes, you'll, you'll know what this means. You've experienced this frustration. You will have. For you and I, we have a difficult relationship with our bodies. Uh, for some of us, there's a couple of pictures on the screen. For some of us, it'll be your difficult relationship with your body will be due to your health issues. Who here this, today has had to take some medication to kind of look after their bodies? Yeah, same here. If you came close to me, you'd smell deep heat right now. Um, I've hurt my back, I've got a disc that's kind of hanging out over here somewhere and it's not particularly comfortable, but, you know, you're a pretty young, sprightly, healthy-looking bunch of people, but even you and I, we need help with our health. For some of us, we experience this kind of bodily brokenness when it's related to the image we have of our bodies. Many of us, and I increasingly believe this is true of both men and women, we wrestle significantly with body image. I used to work with a guy who was really ashamed of his body. He was one of those fellows who is just insanely thin. Um, you know, no amount of pumping iron in the gym will, you know, will increase any muscle mass on his body. And yet he grew up amongst people who believed that to be truly masculine and human, you had to be able to lift, you know, bench press 100 kilos, have a ripping six or eight pack, lots of stuff. And so he was just, whenever he went to the beach with friends or family, he was really reluctant to remove his shirt because he just felt so emasculated. He was ashamed of his body. You know, whether it's your health, whether it's your body image, of course, some people experience that sense of brokenness through gender dysphoria. They just don't feel like they're in the right body. This isn't me. So all of us experience some kind of brokenness and frustration when it comes to our bodies. We don't have an entirely straightforward relationship with our bodies. And as Christians, this shouldn't surprise us. As readers of the Bible, this shouldn't surprise us. Because the Bible teaches us that as we turn away from God, 
we don't just fall out of sync with our maker. We don't just fall out of sync with one another. We fall out of sync with ourselves. So of all the people on planet Earth, Bible-believing Christians like us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, we ought to not be at all surprised that someone could feel profoundly out of sorts at home in their body. If we go back to Matthew chapter 19 again, we see some of this reflected in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then just a few verses on, he says, and there are some, there are eunuchs who were born that way. In the same passage that he affirms male and female binary, he also says that some people are born eunuchs that some people are born without the precise anatomical features you'd expect of a male or a female. Now, this, the fact that some people are born with these kind of abnormalities doesn't negate the fact that God has made male and female because Jesus affirms it. But also just because God has made us male and female doesn't make it simple, straightforward or easy. What the Bible says about our body should make us, if we are Christians, the most compassionate people in all of society when it comes to transgenderism. However flawed we believe the thinking is of those around this particular issue, we must acknowledge the deep pain and hurt and distress that people who struggle with this go through. So we ought to be the most compassionate people on the planet. And thirdly, under the same point of what the Bible teaches, we must also note that our perception of reality is distorted. I think this is key. See, the Bible says we're not very good at understanding who we are, even understanding what we are. On the one hand, the Bible shows us that our bodies have been subjected to frustration. On the other hand, the Bible also shows us that our hearts and our minds don't work reliably either. So have a look at Romans chapter 1. Um, Paul setting up his letter. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And they claim, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. That's Paul in his letter to the Romans. Here's Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, They are darkened in their understanding people of the world, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Did you, see, did you hear that? Darkened in their hearts, foolish in their understanding. Rah. You know, let's think about this. Is the Apostle Paul saying that all transgender people, all people who struggle with gender dysphoria, are futile in their thinking, foolish in their hearts, and darkened in their minds? Is that what Paul is saying? No. Paul is saying that all of us are those things. Every single one of us are futile in our thinking, foolish in our hearts and darkened in our minds. We're not qualified on our own to determine our own identity. Whatever identity we come up with ourselves will never be the perfect good fit. The only identity that will truly fit us is the one given to us by the one who made us. Jesus, for this very reason, does not put the word self before identity, but the word self before the word denial. Remember, this is the case for every single one of us. We don't really know who we are until we come to know the one who's made us, knitted us together in our womb. I don't know, I read a lot of Tim Keller. I feel like he's, you know, I'm married to Adele, but then there's Tim, you know, like, I read a lot of Tim. I don't know where he said this, but he said this, right? It's not mine. He said, identity is not something that we create. It's something we receive from our creator. I mean, it doesn't sound all that profound, but it is, right? Identity is not something we create. It is something we receive from our creator. So when there's conflict between the body and the mind, we can't just assume that the mind is right and the body is wrong because we're all busted and broken, every bit of us. You can't just assume, and this is the thing, right? I feel like I am a woman, although I'm in a man's body. I feel like a man, although I'm in a woman's body, and therefore that. We can't trust that. 
You can't just assume that the mind is, mind is, the mind is right and the body is wrong. Adele and I, when we, when we were at Moore College, we met a couple, we got to know them really well, and the wife in this particular couple, she had severe anorexia. Um, she, built, she, was like, she was dangerously thin, yet she believed she was grotesquely fat. It was not loving of us to affirm her feeling. She was utterly sincere in how she felt about her body, but she was objectively wrong. We were doing no favours to her to affirm how she felt. So we cannot and we must not trust our perception of ourselves. That's generally for life, right? But particularly when it comes to issues of identity. They're some of the things that the Bible has to say about transgenderism and gender dysphoria and our identity. How should we respond? How should we respond? I've got five things I want to say here. How do we respond? How do we think well, speak well about transgenderism, perhaps to those people we know who are struggling with gender dysphoria? The, the, the rates of this particular struggle in society are pretty small. Um, I think our perception is, the way the media works, is to make us think that this is a very prominent thing. It's not as prominent, perhaps, as the media suggests. About one in 10,000 men will experience gender dysphoria and transgender issues. One in 20,000 women. But how should we respond? How do we speak about transgenderism? Five things. First thing is this. We need to listen well. We need to listen well to the person who is struggling with gender dysphoria or transgenderism. And I suspect we're not very good at this. If I use N equals one, we're not very good at this. Most Bible-believing Christians that I know, who know their Bible really well, who could tell you what every single book of the Bible is all about and rah, rah, feel more compelled to speak than to listen. And yet, as Andrew Walker in his book says, love requires empathy and empathy requires listening. We would do well to listen more and speak less. There's a profound necessity to listen because the pain and the hurt and the anxiety and the stress that men and women who struggle with these things are experiencing, we would do well to listen, to understand how they're struggling and what it means for them. Two reasons why it's worth listening. One is this, because then we get a better idea of how to respond well to their particular needs, rather than just sort of barking out an overall statement. We can hear and nuance it to their particular circumstance. We can help them to see how the good news of Jesus is that he he comes alongside the bruised and the, the broken, the hurting and the painful. And secondly, right, if we... If people we're talking to know that we're genuinely interested in their struggle, in their battle, then they're more likely to listen to what we have to say. We would do well to listen better. Uh, Keller says this. I love it. You cannot help with a burden unless you come close to the burdened person. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of the burden with the other person. Stepping into their story, understanding their story, sharing some of their burden in order to help them. We did to listen well. And Bonhoeffer says a similar thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his great book, Life Together. The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. Just as love of God begins with listening to his words, so the beginning of love for our brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. Let us be people who listen well. Second thing is to avoid gender stereotypes. Uh, We stereotype gender both in our general culture and community and also, I think, poorly in our churches as well. Um, There are stereotypes out there, right? But culture, right across the world, and even in Western culture, there is massive variance at what what maleness and femaleness looks like in our culture. You know, this is what men are into. This is what women are into. And we can easily make people feel like they don't measure up if they don't fit neatly into those two categories. You know, I don't know. So 
you know, men are supposed to be into cars and barbecues and, I don't know, bodybuilding, whatever, I don't know. You know, women, they're into knitting and craft lessons, you know, and that's a neat dichotomy. It's not like that. And yet I think that's, you know, it's a bit fatuous, but also that happens in the church as well. You know, men do this. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about from Josh's sermon last week is that men use their strength to serve. As you mentioned, I think men generally have greater physical strength and we ought to use that to serve, but that's not, that's not always the way. You know, I, I love the scriptures, right? You know, again, men are meant to be powerful and athletic and women are meant to be artistic and sensitive, yet you open the Bible, right? And what do we find David doing a lot of? Playing the harp. Writing poetry. It's wonderful. The Bible portrays this beautiful range of what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman. Let's be people shaped by the word of God, not shaped by culture. Let's, um, so let's listen well. Avoid stereotypes. Um, Sam Aubrey is beautifully helpful here. He says, um, thirdly, try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. Try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. You see, on the issues of sexuality and transgenderism, um, people struggling with their sexuality or transgender assume that Christians are unjust. There's a set of rules for the Christians. There's a set of rules for everyone else. They, They bring that to the table and they feel like that is just not fair. What we need to do when we're engaging with men and women who are struggling with gender dysphoria or transgenderism or their sexuality in general, we need to show people that the gospel always levels the playing field. We all stand at the foot of the cross in desperate need. So in conversation with people, at least at the very beginning of a conversation, I'm not going to say to someone what I can't say to everyone. So if someone you know, someone I know, comes up to me and says, hey, Jacko, I'm, I'm struggling with transgenderism. I think I'm transgender. What do you think about that? As a follower of Jesus, as a Bible-believing Christian, I want to say, you know what, yeah, we all have issues with our bodies. We all struggle with identity. And let that be the starting point. Try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. Fourthly, compassion. Christians, we need both conviction and compassion in this particular debate. The transgender debate is is ripe with controversy. But just remember, and I think um, Walker is really helpful in this book, he actually says, he calls the book God and the transgender debate, but he actually says, we're talking about people. Not something out there, not just an issue, but real people. You know, holding a biblical position, however, on sexuality and gender means that we are going to find ourselves in conversations with our friends, our family, our colleagues, where disagreements are going to arise. And however beautifully you express yourself or I express myself, we are going to be accused of being haters and bigots and perhaps even worse than that. But I want to say at a time like this, in a culture like ours, we need God-given courage, I think, to defend, I don't think, to defend... God's vision for human flourishing that arises from God's unchanging word, that we are made deliberately, not accidentally, in his image. And to live in that way is to not just honour him, but to live a full life. We need a bit of spine in our, in our, in our, a steel in our spines. But I also want to say, you can have all the conviction and passion and biblical knowledge in the world, but it won't matter a thing if you speak it without compassion. Jesus didn't aim to win debates. He aimed to love people. So we must be like him as his followers. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As we ground our convictions in God's unchanging, beautiful, perfect word, we must speak with compassion in our hearts. And fifthly, as Christians living in Adelaide, as Christians living in this culture, we have the beautiful opportunity to show people, to point people to where true hope is found. The Bible shows us that we all have issues with our bodies. You and I have issues with our body, and there is a brokenness to our bodily life. 
But it also shows us, the Bible also shows us that the problems we have with our bodies are not going to be fixed by our bodies. The reality of us having problems with our bodies is not a reason to, I don't know, escape your body or to replace your body. It's, the Bible points to the idea that our bodies need to be redeemed, that our bodies need to be restored. Um, Vaughan Roberts, in his book Transgender, uses the, uh, the example of art restoration. So we are... Oh, not yet, not yet, go back, thanks. Um, he uses the idea that we are, we are pieces of art, right? Old bits of art. We don't need to be constructed, we just need to be restored. Which is precisely what Jesus has made possible and precisely what we look forward to in Romans chapter 8. We look forward, says Paul, to the day of redemption, not only for our souls but also for our bodies. God has promised in Christ an eternal future for you through faith that involves your body, transformed, redeemed, restored, fit for the new creation. It's very easy, isn't it, to think that if only I could make this body better now, then everything would be okay. I'd be sorted. Have you ever had that thought? If only this could be, I don't know, beautiful, then everything's going to be great. And yet it won't. Because our bodily brokenness points to a much deeper issue in our lives. Fixing our bodies is not going to fix us. I've mentioned already the great pain and distress and anxiety that is experienced by someone who is experiencing gender dysphoria, transgender. It is intense, it is full on. But as you do some reading, you also come across those who've transitioned, men who've become women, women who've become men, and gone through this extraordinarily invasive process in the hope that by fixing their body, everything will be right. And without going into all the detail, the reality is the statistics play out that a man or a woman who has fully transitioned from male to female or female to male is 19 times more likely to complete suicide than anyone else in the normal population. That's a tragedy. And that's reason for us to be the most compassionate people on planet Earth with regards to this issue. You know, if you've spent years, right, thinking that my greatest problem is my body, and when you think, if only I can just finally fix my body, then, then I'll be my true self, then I'll be whole, then I'll flourish. And then you come out the other side of that crazily invasive procedure and process and not feel complete. It's, it's hopeless. But it's not hopeless without God. Colossians 1 shows us where all of our true hope lies. God has now reconciled you, Paul says, in Christ's body of flesh through his death. Jesus was broken so we could be fixed. The answer to our brokenness, our bodily brokenness, the only hope that we have is the ultimate brokenness of Christ's body on our behalf. Whatever our expression of bodily brokenness is, be that our health, be that our self-image, be that our self-loathing, be that gender dysphoria, the only solution is the death and resurrection of Jesus and the promise of flourishing life in him both now and forever. And the reality is, right, for some of those things, health, self-image, self-loathing, gender dysphoria, for some of us it may well be that we live with those things for the rest of our days here on planet Earth until Jesus returns and makes all things new. But the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of our God is that all that is not wasted. He is using that to make us more like Jesus. And Vaughan Roberts writes this. It's on the screen. Thanks, Josh. The way in which God works to grow us in Christian maturity is rarely by removing the obstacles of our disordered bodies and minds. Very often, God allows them to continue. And amazingly, through the ongoing struggle with our disordered bodies and minds, God renews the inner person so that we become more and more like Christ. It seems to me that some of the great heroes of our faith are those who go on with very deep struggles. Some of them are bodily, a profound disability, perhaps. Others are psychological, depression, perhaps, or ongoing gender dysphoria. 
But as Christians determine to walk the way of the Spirit and to praise their Creator, their faith grows and deepens, and they become more and more like Jesus. This is Christian hope. Hope that we can be confident in because Jesus has paved the way through his suffering, through his brokenness on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead. We await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it will happen. It will happen. And we have the opportunity under God to hold out that hope not just to people who struggle with transgender or gender dysphoria or other things, but to everyone. Because all of us have broken bodies. All of us need the gospel. Let me pray and ask God to help us to do that. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your great love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we pray with thanks for the vision you hold out for us of flourishing in your word, a flourishing that comes through faith in Jesus and becoming new creations in him. Father, we thank you that the power of the gospel is able to give us that new identity, that identity we long for, loved, accepted, fully who we are in Christ. Father, do help us to be men and women who know your word and your gospel well such that we would indeed be the most compassionate people in Adelaide, the compassionate, most compassionate people on planet Earth. Make us, we pray, Father, more like Jesus, who showed great compassion to the broken, to the lost, to the disordered. And Father, we remember tonight that we all were disordered. We are all disordered and all in desperate need of you to return and make all things new. Father, help us to keep trusting Jesus in the midst of our struggles. Help us to live real lives with one another, sharing those struggles with each other, working them out together in Christ, that we might be useful to each other in this room and useful to a hurting world. So, Father, please use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.